Hello, I'm Dr. Amalia Gondas Malka. Welcome to Womanity Woman in Unity, the show that celebrates women's milestone achievements in their struggle for liberation, self emancipation, human rights, democracy, and much more. Joining us today is Professor Marianne van der Skuren, who is the Deputy Dean of Transformation and Social Responsiveness in the Department of Civil Engineering at the University of Cape Town. She also holds the NRF DCI CSIR co-funded Smart Mobility Chair and serves as President of the South African Institution of Civil Engineering. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me and good afternoon, good morning to the listeners. And I have to correct one thing quickly. I, I'm not the president of the South African Institution of Civil Engineering anymore. I was that last year. Um, I'm also a fellow of the Institute for Civil Engineers in the UK, and I'm one of their 300 or so globally uh, female fellows, which might be of interest to the listeners, and we can get back to that later. It's a pleasure to host you today. When I think about civil engineering, we as citizens, people are exposed to it on a daily basis. It tends to be associated with large infrastructure from buildings to factories to bridges, ships, airplanes, water management, uh, transportation, uh, and, and in particular, that falls into one of your core areas of interest. And please, can you tell us what triggered you to pursue engineering? Thank you. Thank you for that question. So for me, um, I got into transportation because of, because of my late father. He had a driving school. So it starts with something as simple, if I can call it that, as a driving school. I grew up with uh, seeing his clients uh, getting their license. I saw him uh, doing continuous professional development, making sure that he knew the latest and greatest in the transport system. And, you know, many Sunday afternoons were spent uh, listening to classical music and um, discussing the ills of the road network where I grew up. And, you know, obviously the two of us could solve many problems that the municipalities hadn't solved yet. Um, so that's where it all started. When I matriculated, I was actually too young to, to get my license but wanted to, to get into the transportation field. And just so about six months before I matriculated, I went to this uh, college on transport engineering, um, similar to the varsity colleges here, I would say. Um, I was expecting this huge university type of environment. I'm from a small town, so that wasn't really what I was looking for. And I got to this... Um, small academy in a temporary building um, with, you know, all people that were very friendly on first name basis, etc. So I felt right at home when I went to their open day. Um, and um, yeah, I've never looked back today. If I think about, I've obviously done other studies as well, but if I think about all the studies I've done, I would do it exactly the same. I would go back and do the transport engineering bachelor, uh, systems engineering masters, and I have a PhD in intelligent transport system. And I enjoy every day when I'm going to work, uh, trying to solve you know, problems in the transport system. 
When I think about the transport system, it is integrated into everything. And I was reflecting for a moment of public transport, personal transport, land transport, air transport, sea transport, and this idea of mobility, of, of moving people from, from place to place. Um, but the reality is that some people have it easier than others. And when we look towards our mass population group, particularly women who are a vulnerable sector of the population, that sometimes it can be quite hazardous to, to move around. I know that one of your research areas looks at a gender-related gender safety. Could you share with us some of your findings and, importantly, what women can do to, to make themselves safer? Thank you for that question. So I, in all my work, I try to keep the human element part of it. Um, I was very privileged when I did study that I also did a term or a semester of uh, psychology and a semester of sociology. So I always want to connect what we're doing in civil engineering, and a lot of it is big infrastructure, as you say, um, to the human element. And therefore, um, aspects of road safety and also aspects of personal security is um, at the core of, of what I'm trying to do, creating a more just transport system. Now, transport systems around the world have been created as a kind of a gender-neutral system, which really serves commuters, generally, you know, the middle-class male commuter, and things are much more difficult for everybody else. If I look at myself as a middle-class woman, you know, generally women have more obligations getting children to school, maybe if there's family around, making sure that parents get to the doctor, et cetera, et cetera. So a lot of these care trips fall on, on women. And on top of that, women experience, and I'm privileged enough to be able to have my own car, so taking my children to school um, is not too much of a, of a burden, uh, but if you have to do that, um, like many in our society, using public transport, the situation changes a lot. And we have, I mean, we know all about um, uh, hashtag Me Too, etc. We have violence in our public areas. Uh, we have violence in public transport. Even before I came to this country, I read books about violence and sexual harassment in public transport in South Africa. So, so there are books written about that, that uh, element. What we're doing across Africa is trying to make sure that we understand the burden that, that women and, and girls carry when moving around in the transport system and how to accommodate change into that. And some of it people can do themselves. I know that some people only travel with people they know, only with minibus taxi drivers they know, only with bus passengers that they know. You know, they, they're creating these, these unnamed groups and even tell each other when they're not coming tomorrow so that nobody has to be worried about them. It's quite an interesting little organism that, that is created there. Um, with a, uh, an international consortium, I've been able to create an online web 
website that um, gives 48 different interventions that the different role players can do. So from the operators, public transport operators, to the municipalities, the legislators, even NGOs. And to me, that's where um, I, as an educated, privileged um, engineer, feel like I have to make a difference. I have to make a difference in the lives of the people that I work with. The cleaners that work here at the university do have to come with public transport and experience that harassment on a weekly, if, if it's not on a daily basis. So I'm trying to make the world a bit better place for them. Could you share two of those interventions with us that you feel are possibly top of the list? Yeah, so to me, from a municipal point of view, um, infrastructure, and of course, I'm a civil engineer, so infrastructure will be at the top of my mind, but there's a lot in the infrastructure that we can do. For example, the lighting. You know, let's make sure that we have proper lighting. For example, having applications on our phone or even physical buttons that call security, um, having uh, CCTV cameras, making sure that we don't have these deserted areas, but that we create areas where there are shops, even informal traders that we call it eyes on the road, where there are, you know, other stakeholders in that space that help create security. Obviously, from a personal point of view, as I said, traveling together is an important one uh, to, to include. And for me, if we, as I said, this work was done for Africa and, and this web was for Africa, in South Africa, we have quite good legislation around harassment. Even if we still have implementation and practical issues, our legislation is quite good. That's not even the case in many of um, mm. the other African countries. And, you know, rape or sexual harassment is not actually seen as a problem in the law, which is heartbreaking. You've really demonstrated that the transport system is not gender neutral, despite what it proclaims to be, and the realities of women's safety when, when they're traveling and the concerns that they have to look out for. You're listening to Womanity, Woman in Unity, and today we're talking to Professor Marianne van der Skuren, who is the Deputy Dean of Transformation and Social Responsiveness in the Department of Civil Engineering at the University of Cape Town. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. When I look at your, your profile and you mentioned that you have your BSc, your MSc, your PhD, all of that was done in the Netherlands. Can you please tell us, one, in terms of how your education has played a role in your development? Yeah, as I said, um, and I can say, you know, it's not common for a woman to be in this space, even though the transport field within civil engineering is maybe seen as a bit softer than, uh, you know, research on, on concrete, etc., or geotech. Um, it wasn't common to have females, even in, in the Dutch environment where I grew up, it wasn't common to have females uh, in that space. So what I was, um, we were far females compared to 25 males in the class that did um, 
that did transport engineering uh, at the college. And you can hear it was small classes. So that was really good. Um, when I did my um, master's, it was a new field. And the privilege that I had is that the work where I was working, which was the sister organization of the CSRR in the Netherlands called TNO, um, was next door to the University of Delft. So I was allowed from my employer to cycle and go and attend the class and then come back and carry on with my work. I used to start a bit earlier and leave a bit later than normal. And they gave me four hours a week off to do my studies as well. So I, instead of a 40-hour week, I had a 36-hour working week. That helped a lot. Um, and the systems engineering new um, field that was started then, I think, gave me uh, the opportunity that I was looking for. It really approaches um, any problem in a broad context. And that's not something. So we have, um, if you look at engineering, you have electrical engineering, mechanical engineering, civil engineering. We generally try to specialize. We're now even uh, talking about maybe splitting things uh, further in the, you know, in, in the curriculum. And this systems engineering trained me to make sure that I wouldn't only look in the detail. And yes, of course, you need to understand the detail, but also keep that broad um, look. One of the most interesting courses that I ever did was called Decision Making in an International Context, where we even did role plays. And there was the Arab and there was the Asian and there was the African, you know, and how Europeans and Africans and Asians and Arabs make decisions very diff differently. That, you know, you don't do business in Japan if you don't have a personal relationship with people. And that taught me that, you know, even though you're a specialist in a certain field, you always need to try and look broad, look across things. And that has helped me to also in the engineering field, make connections. So I often, together with one of my also female postdoctoral students, um, uh, create tailor-made models that uh, unpacks specific questions from a, from a very broad perspective. For example, at the moment, we are working with an international consortium again on a just transition. So the question there has been, what does it mean to go to uh, carbon zero in 2050, for example, and what type of society do we need to support that carbon zero? And that's different in Europe or in South America or in, or in Africa. So we are modeling what that means in the South African context. And also then, if we know where we want to go to, what needs to happen between now and then to actually get there. Now, we only have started that, but um, it requires to be able to look broad, to look at the human factors, as well as how do you build cities like that, then from a civil engineering point of view, the transport system, the water system, the sewer system, all those systems need to function. And I think, uh, especially systems engineering has taught me to look that broad, which I'm really grateful for. 
Your work sounds incredibly interesting, diverse, the forward-looking nature of it, the sustainability aspect, and the consideration of the human element as well as the, the infrastructure piece and how it relates to different contexts, especially from a, a cultural perspective. One of the things that you mentioned was that when you started out in your engineering course, that there were 30 students, only five were women. How would you say that the dynamic has, has changed today in terms of encouraging more women to take up on engineering roles? And part of the reason that I ask is, I mean, engineering, as, as broad as the field is, you spoke about mechanical, you spoke about civil, uh, chemical engineering, et cetera, that it plays such an integral role to, to the fabric of society. And there are so many work opportunities. And if women aren't able to take uh, action and, and participate in those opportunities, they in turn get left behind. So if you could share um, some of your thoughts. Yeah, so to me, it's one being the example and carrying on, you know, trying to, to be that for other people. And I'll come back to that. Um, and supporting each other, and maybe it goes hand in hand. Um, so, so to just go back, when I started out at TNO, as I said, the sister organization of the CSRR, so people understand what type of organization it was, I was the only female researcher between 25 or so men. There was even a sister department in our institute that refused to employ females. Now, this is the early 90s in Europe. You know, this is not that long ago. So, so it, you know, shocking. When I left, it was about, yes. What did they say as their reason for not employing females? Um, yeah, they were a male group. They, you know, they had their mojo, let's put it that way. And they thought females would disrupt that. It wasn't generally, you know, anti-female or whatever, but it's shocking that in the early 90s, in a country like the Netherlands, that is actually normally quite forward thinking and a lot, that that actually happened, you know, topic. And that the institution, as I said, an institution like the CSRR, who has thousands of employees, actually until then, let it happen. You know, it's like it, it says a lot about that. So, so there wasn't generally an anti-female um, background to it, but they just didn't want to disrupt their like little group, their way of joking with each other. And, you know, maybe afraid is the best characterization of that. So we can unpack that further as well when we meet with our psychologists. <laughs> um you know, so so that that's one thing. And when I left uh, just over 10 years later, 40% of the staff in my department was, was females. So that taught me, although it was sometimes quite a difficult road. I remember having been working there for five years and going to clients. And every single time you would go to a new client, you had to prove yourself as a female. And young males that had joined the institute much later than myself would go there and would seen as, you know, the provider of knowledge type thing. So that was very difficult. 
Um, I can't tell you how often I've been asked to pour the coffee or the tea. Um, but the fact that when I left, 40% were female, that gave me, you know, an indication you can create the change, be the change, help the change to happen. In civil engineering here at the University of Cape Town, I'm only the second female ever employed. Um, my predecessor was female and she was the first. So I took the job of a female that left as an academic. Um, and we now, out of the about 18 or 20 academics, we about five females. So again, the change has been coming um, also across races. So we do have a, a, a few um, black female South African colleagues that are really the role models that our young student, black students from this country need. Um, and they're professionals. They're really good, you know. And that's the other thing, you know. We don't, as females, want to be the number, the only female working here or being in a committee or being on a board. We want to make the change and be the change because of what we know. And, you know, I think anybody can do that. I've been involved in the South African Institute of Civil Engineering's uh, bridge building competition for more than 20 years. And every year I talk to a few students. I will, unless I'm traveling, but generally I will be at the open day to talk to females, you know, to, to showcase, even if it's an odd day in the year, to showcase that if you really want it, you can do it. And don't let anybody, not your parents, not your teachers, because I've had all of them, you know, parents telling me not that I couldn't do it, teachers telling me that I couldn't do it, colleagues telling me, peers telling me, you know, just carry on going and carve out your own pathway. It might not be the same as some male colleagues starting. It doesn't have to be the same. It needs to be that pathway that will make you happy in what you are doing and will, you know, will carry on building your career. And that's also, I, there are various um, uh, initiatives, for example, women in the built environment that we are building, other mentoring systems, even uh, becoming um, woman fellows with ICE. There, as I said, there are 300 around the globe, which is out of 5,000 fellows of the Institute is, again, a very small portion. Um, there is an initiative to um, find more you know, and these are senior females in, in civil engineering, find more females to become fellows. And when I had a little event around that a few weeks ago here at UCT, I also invited two students because I do think for young students, it's important to mingle with the more experienced um, females in the industry that are still building their, um, their careers. You seem to do a lot of work around visibility and participating in different types of, of bodies and industries and, and organizations. And when I look at aspects of your CV, so you were the president-elect of the uh, South African Institute of Civil Engineering, fellow of the South African Institution of Civil Engineering, member of the scientific committee for the World Conference on Transport Research Society, member of the Institute for Municipal Engineering in South Africa, member of the Intelligent Transport System South Africa. 
all on top of your day job. Please tell us more about some of your involvement in these structures and why you participate to, to this level. Yeah, as I said, it's it's for me, it's important to make a change. And that change is in the research on gender, it's a change in society. Um, I also want to make change in the institutions and um, civil engineering as in general. So that's why I uh, do think it's very important to create these networks, to, to um, participate in these networks. And when you do things, you know, do the things that come easy to you. Um, so for me, um, spending a day on bridge building once a year, it's fun. We see each other again. We have lunch together with the group that organizes it. There's always student chapters that help. So, you know, we we training them in giving back and some of them give back for the rest of their lifetime. Um, we encourage the learners that come to those type of events, um, you know, and we make ourselves available. Now, sometimes there might be things asked that are less easy, and then it's also okay to say no, you know, and I have to, of course, balance things. So in the, the two mentoring um, aspects, uh, organizations that we are building at the moment together with SICE, you know, there is only so much I can do because I do still have to do my day job, etc. So if there are questions, can you do X, Y, Z, and I can't, I have to, and that's something you have to learn when you're a professional, you have to say no. And it's important. So give where you can, give the things that come easy to you um, and take care of yourself, you know. When I did my PhD, and I did my PhD uh, together with a full-time job and having two small children, um, I I got, and it comes back to the mojo maybe, I made sure that I found the way I could function. So I would do my day job, I would fetch my children, I would, you know, at 8 o'clock there would be fat bath and in bed, then I would work on my PhD and I would take two and a half hours or so in the evening to work on my PhD. I would never work on a Friday night because I also realized I needed time to relax and I would definitely not work throughout the whole weekend. I would find a block of maybe five hours somewhere on a Saturday or a Sunday, mostly on a Sunday, but I wouldn't work the whole weekend unless it was very close to the end where you now need to do all the corrections and things like that. So it's also important to find that balance, what works for you. You know, some people will accuse me that I don't have a good balance, that I work too much, but that is also because what I do, I love a lot. So it doesn't feel like a burden when I'm doing it. So I don't mind, you know, working in the evening on a, on a, a report or mentoring people or talking to them, etc. Because to me, you know, it's like my hobby. I like to do what mm. I do. I think that's such an important lesson that life and work is not a, a 50 50 it's a, it's an integration and everybody is is different and when you're pursuing your passions like you said it doesn't necessarily feel like it's work 
You're listening to Womanity, Woman in Unity, and today we're talking to Professor Marianne van der Skuren, who is the Deputy Dean of Transformation and Social Responsiveness in the Department of Civil Engineering at the University of Cape Town. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. One of the things that you spoke about when you were moving from the the institution in the Netherlands was that after 10 years, you'd seen this transformation of 40% in a shift towards women. You also spoke about the idea that you had quite a lot of detractors when you were growing up and wanting to pursue your goal and and your ambition. How did you stay focused and what was the the driver inside you that, that kept you on your North Star? Um, listen, I, I didn't have my, I come from a broken home. My parents were divorced, so I didn't have the easiest maybe, uh, upbringing. I'm not saying, you know, I'm not saying that I had the worst either. I know that many people have worse upbringings than myself, but it was about when I was about 19 and I had as a child with coming from a broken home for a long time, tried to please my father and my mother when I was with them and and things like that. And I was about 19 years old. I had just started studying. Uh, I was still going home every weekend to see them and please them, etc. And at one stage, I thought, no, I cannot do this anymore. I have to choose me. And, you know, I think that was one of the most important decisions that I made, that I had to make sure that I always stayed true to myself in everything, everything I did. And that was, you know, leaving my hometown, going to study, not going back after I finished. Um, You know, many people go back and, um, you know, it's a small town with a lot of unemployment, even well-educated people that are unemployed in these small type of towns. And I thought, I can't do that to myself, you know. So I stayed, I didn't go back to live back home again. Uh, I found my career. I did do research. And even in my research, I remember my uh, first boss saying to me, Marianne, you're too broad, you know, you doing all kinds of different projects on, you know, I did do transport modeling and public transport scheduling and whatever, you know, lots of different things. You need to make a choice if you want to become a specialist and if you want to grow in the institute and become a senior researcher, you need to make uh, a choice. And I said, I can't. I, you know, these are all so many interesting things. I can't. Later in love, when I came to South Africa, it benefited me that I didn't make that specialist choice because now I could um, teach transportation broadly rather than very focused on one element, etc. So, again, to me, it's very important and it has been important to make sure that the things that I'm doing are, um, you know, where my heart is, um, doesn't matter if they're gender related and, and all the mentoring or the type of research that I'm doing. And I had a discussion with a, with a former colleague here from the university a, a few years ago. And he said, you know, not everything is perfect at the university either. How do you do it, etc." And I said, if something does upset me or if I don't get the recognition from 
one of the bosses or, you know, there are some roadblocks put in front of me. I have to decide what I want to do with with that myself. Do I want to fight it? Do I want to go around it? You know, one or two odd occasions I have contemplated to leave. And do I want to leave? And so, so for me, and I've been able to wiggle myself into a corner where I'm happy, where I'm doing the things that I want to do. And as, I, as you say, I do a lot of other things, you know. So if work is not going so well, then maybe those other things are making me happy and um, making me find my North Star again, um, if I can, can call it that. So, yeah, that's how I function. Always reflecting on, you know, making sure that I do everything I can for out there, technically as well as socially, uh, but that I also keep track of where I am myself. It's a great lesson in personal development as well as perseverance. Looking towards the future of of women and based on your experience and not just necessarily within the civil engineering space, but in terms of advancing in general, what do you think we need to do to build a more egalitarian society where there are no limits imposed on women? Well, that's a difficult one. According to the UN, it will take another 137 years. <laughs> so, yeah, that's a difficult one. I really hope, and I think it starts even with parenting, and many of us are parents. I think there is a teachers and parents have a huge role to play. And, and maybe that as a teacher at a university, I'm trying to, to uh, play that role. But we, we have to be the role models. We have to be making sure that, let's say, if we stick to parents, that our children can develop. And I think from a father's and a mother's point of view, it's important that we do that. Funnily enough, a lot of female engineers that I have taught over the years have very strong and good relationships with their fathers. And so did I. So maybe that is something, maybe to create, you know, more equity in engineering, if I can call call it that, um, fathers have to look at themselves and see how they can encourage their daughters to actually take up uh, these type of fields. And I remember I have a colleague, a male colleague here that, when he was uh, when he had young daughters, he said, "Yeah, but they still play with dolls, and that's not a problem. You know, it's making sure that you, you know, are played with dolls. That's fine. You know, it doesn't have to be Lego if that's not your interest." Um, funnily enough, one of his daughters is studying civil engineering um, at the moment. So, to me. You know, encouraging, making sure that it's not only about all the female roles that people play and making sure that your sons are included in cleaning up the kitchen, for example. So equity in the home or equal treatment in the home, I think, comes a long way. And then trying to open doors for your daughters where possible. I think that's an important one. In education, I think we need to make sure that when um, there is prejudice, that we address it and that we as parents speak up, that we are as peers speak up, that you cannot treat somebody like that or 
make these type of assumptions when you're dealing with females, with girls, etc., because they have equal opportunity. And it makes engineering better to have males and females involved. Thanks for, for sharing your views there. I really like the, the social dynamic, the dynamic uh, and the important influencing roles that parental figures and teachers have. And I, I love the fact that your male colleague's daughter has kind of osmotically taken in civil engineering and decided that that's the area that she wants to pursue. Yes. And my daughter is becoming a psychologist. <laughs> so, so, you know, she has not followed in my footsteps and she has done that consciously. And I need to give her that space to do that. She will, you know, make her contribution to the world where she is strong. What would you say has been one of the greatest lessons you've learned? Um, I have a sticker on my door that somebody gave me, Dare to be Different. And um, I also got a book from a friend, you know, about outliers. You know, it's okay to be the outlier as long as you stay true to yourself. So maybe that's the biggest, you know, um, lesson. I, as I said, I come from a small town. Even in Dutch, I have an accent. In South Africa, I have an accent. I'm not the, the average Dutch person. I'm not the average South African. I'm not the average engineer, et cetera, et cetera. But that's okay. I'm making my contribution, and I do that to the best of my abilities. And who on earth would want to be average? As we close out today's show, please can you share a few words of inspiration or motivation to girls and young women that are listening to us? I think, I think the, the most important is believe in yourself. You can do it. If things don't go your way straight away, I even repeated a class in high school. So, you know, not everything comes easy. Not everything comes straight away. But just carry on persevering your dream and making that difference in the world. Thank you for that great message. And thank you so much for joining us today. You're most welcome. Thank you too. And regards to the listeners. You have been listening to Womanity, Woman in Unity, and we have been talking to Professor Marianne van der Skuren, who is the Deputy Dean of Transformation and Social Responsiveness in the Department of Civil Engineering at the University of Cape Town. 